Hi everyone, welcome to Women Can Money Summit. In today's session, we'll be looking at how to build an investment portfolio that withstands market volatility. So in this session, you're going to learn the importance of investing. Um, you're going to understand market volatility, the importance of building a diversified portfolio, how to build a diversified portfolio, and some strategies for withstanding market volatility. So a little bit about me. My name is Edwick. I'm an engineer, financial educator, trauma money certified coach, and the founder of Two Sides of a Dime, which is a financial literacy platform that is dedicated to making personal finance accessible, relatable, and doable. My mission is to equip women with the tools they need to build long-lasting wealth in a way that is easy to understand and seamless to implement without giving up on the things they enjoy. In this investing workshop, my goal is to guide you on how to build an investment portfolio that withstands market volatility so you can achieve financial independence on your own terms. So you've probably heard a thousand times that you need to start investing. So what are some of the benefits of investing? Investing is important because it offers the potential to grow your wealth over time. By investing your money, you ensure that it is working for you and you earn a return on your investment. This return can come in form of capital gains, which is when your investment increases in value. It can come in form of dividends, which is income you receive from those investments, or interest payments, depending on the type of investment you have. Some other benefits of investing is higher returns. In the last 30 years, the stock market has returned on average 10.42%. Now, this high return can help you achieve your goals a lot faster. Investing returns have also historically beat inflation rate. Over the last year, inflation has been such a hot topic, and inflation is basically the decline in purchasing power of your currency over time. We can see on this chart that for several years, the investing returns have actually beat the rate of inflation. If you're holding on to just cash in your checking account, the value, the, the amount of goods that you'll be able to purchase 10 years from now will not be the same as today. So whenever you're holding money that you're putting for any long-term purpose, you need to ensure that you're putting it in an asset where it can beat the rate of inflation at the minimum. So we can see that the inflation rate in 2021 was around 4.4%, um, while the S&P 500 return in that same year was around 26.9%. That's almost six times. So you always want to make sure that you are putting your money in something where it can beat inflation. Investing also yields income. So certain investments will pay dividends, and this can act as a source of passive income for you. When you invest, you can actually grow your money faster than you would in a typical savings account or a low-risk investment. For example, if you were to save $6,000 every year and you put that in a high interest savings account that earns 1.25% return, you will end up with around $308,000 after 40 years. Now, if you invested that money instead in an uh, investment that returned around 10% over the same 40 years, you will end up with $2.6 million. So investing usually blows saving out of the park because when you save, you're working hard for your money. But when you invest, your money is working hard for you. Other benefits of investing is it helps you save for retirement. 
It could help pay for education for your kids. And you can also leave a legacy that you can pass on to future generations. One of my favorite, absolute favorite reasons for investing is to achieve financial independence. And what is financial independence? And financial independence is having enough money to cover your annual living expenses without relying on any paid employment. Wouldn't it be nice to just have money in your investments that you can withdraw every year without having to clock into work? That is what financial independence does for you. So when you hit financial independence, the goal here is that you can safely withdraw 4% from your investments to cover your yearly living expenses for the next 30 years without running out of money. This is what they call the safe withdrawal rule, and you can read more on it um, on your own. So how do you know exactly how much you need to become financially independent? So the first thing you need to know is what are your yearly expenses? So you take your yearly expenses and you multiply that by 25. This 25 is gotten from 4%. 4% of 100% is 25. And this will become how much you will need in your investment portfolio. So for example, if you know that at retirement, you probably will be living off of $30,000 per year because remember by then, your mortgage is paid off, the kids are out of the house, you don't have to save for retirement at retirement, you just basically need to cover your living expenses. So let's say we use $30,000, put whatever you know that number is going to be for you. Multiply that by 25, it means that for that person, their financial independence number is going to be $750,000. So I have an assignment for you. I want you to use the formula we just had to calculate your financial independence number. Having that number in mind helps you know what goal you're working towards. So I highly encourage you to do this exercise. So now let's look at market volatility. What is market volatility? This refers to the variation in price of financial assets, such as stocks, bonds, and commodities over a certain period of time. If you go and look at the price of a stock, you would notice that the price of that stock from day to day, it fluctuates rapidly. And it's usually very unpredictable for you to know how much the price of a stock is going to be the next day. So when something has a high volatility, it means that the prices fluctuates rapidly. And when it has low volatility, it means that the prices are relatively stable. And market volatility can impact investments either positively or negatively. So there are two types of um, volatility. We have the short-term volatility and the long-term volatility. So short-term volatility refers to fluctuation in prices over a short period of time. So this will usually be in days, weeks, or months. And there are so many different things that could drive short-term volatility. Factors such as news events, economic data, sometimes when they release um, the economic report for maybe um, a company or the country, you will notice that the stock prices, you'd usually have a nosedive. Or sometimes it could go up depending on what that report says. Or it could just be changes in invest investor sentiment. A lot of times we see certain stocks get hyped up because people are like, they're loving it. Example, 2022 tech stocks were getting hyped a lot. So we saw that increase in price. So these are short-term volatility that could be driven by investor sentiments. And short-term volatility tends to be usually unpredictable and it's usually extreme. 
than long-term volatility. And this usually drives emotional reaction and poor investment decisions. You notice a lot of people, when they look at the investment, it's down 10%. They might panic and decide to sell because they don't know what's going to happen. So if you look at a certain stock, this is usually how the short-term um, outlook will look like. It's a lot of zigzags. It looks very, very bumpy. With long-term volatility, it refers to the fluctuation in prices over an extended period of time. So this is years or even decades. And with long-term volatility, it's usually caused by macroeconomic factors such as changes in interest rates, inflation, or economic growth. Typically, if that economy has been doing well over the past years, you will see it being reflected in the overall stock market Um in terms of how it's moving. And with long-term volatility, it tends to be predictable and less extreme than short-term volatility. Example, with the S&P 500, which is this chart we're looking at here, we can say that the average return is 10% based on the performance that based on its performance over the previous year. So from the long-term outlook, we can say, oh, the stock market will return an average of 10%. But if it's short-term, I don't know what the stock market is going to do in this year or next year or the year after that. There's no way to accurately predict that. And if you're looking um, at the long-term volatility, it's usually more on the upward trajectory. So this is just an example of some of the biggest stock market crashes that have happened in the past and how they have recovered. So the, the, the Great Depression was around an 89% loss in the market, and it took it around 10 years to recover. So we can see why that long-term is very important. The dot-com bubble a lot of people lost money during that period, but it took around 15 years to recover. The Black Monday, 22% loss and 22 months to recover. The 2008 financial crisis, that's the, that's the one that most of us are aware of now, uh, was around 57% loss and 17 months to recover. The 2020 COVID crash, that was 34% loss and it took it only 33 days for the stock market to recover. And in 2022, there was around an 18% loss, and we're still recovering from that. So for long-term goals such as retirement or building wealth, you want to pay attention to the long-term volatility, and you want to focus on building diversified investment portfolio that can withstand that market fluctuations over time. And when in doubt, zoom out. A lot of times you might be hearing the news. What you hear in the news is usually the short-term um, volatility. You hear, oh, the stock market took a 10% loss today and you could really panic and decide to sell your investment. But if you look at the long-term outlook, if you zoom out, you can see that that investment usually goes up over time. So now let's look at diversification. What is diversification? Diversification is a risk management strategy that involves investing in a variety of different assets, such as stocks, bonds, commodity, real estate, rather than putting all of your money in a single investment. You've probably heard the term, don't put all of your eggs in one basket. This is basically what diversification means. And the goal is for you to reduce your overall risk because when you spread it across different asset classes, different sectors, each, different, each sector has its own risk or has its own level of risk. But when you spread it across, you end up reducing your overall risk. The idea behind diversification is that different asset classes and sectors have different levels of risk and return. So by investing in a variety of assets, investors can spread their risk across those different areas, which will 
potentially reduce the impact of any one investment on their overall portfolio. Say, for example, maybe you have three tech stocks in your portfolio. If the tech sector starts to suffer, your overall investment portfolio is going to suffer. But maybe you have a combination of tech stocks, you have healthcare, you have consumer. If one sector is suffering, the other sections might be doing well. So it helps it balance your overall portfolio and reduces your overall risk. So the importance of diversification is minimizing your risk when you have it spread across different sectors, different um, asset classes, which we're going to explain what that is, different countries. You are um, you are spreading that risk and making sure that you are not over leverage in just one particular sector. If something bad happens, you know that the other um, asset classes or sectors that you're invested in will make up for it. It also helps maximize your returns. If you are losing money in one sector, if you're only focused on one sector, you end up losing a lot of money. Whereas if you are diversified, let's say the technology sector is doing really well, you will be able to participate in those returns from that sector. Or let's say the energy sector that is doing well this time, you will also be able to participate in those returns. So at the end of the day, you're maximizing your return rather than just focusing on one particular sector or industry. And it will help stabilize and smooth out your investment portfolio. So if you just have one particular sector or maybe you just have one stock in your portfolio, you would notice that high volatility where it's like today your investments are down, the next day it's up. But if you're well diversified, you see more of a smooth line in your investment portfolio because the ones that do well would usually make up for the ones that doesn't do well. It also helps minimize your losses during market downturns. One of my favorite ways to diversify is making sure I have sectors that do well during a recession. That way, if something is happening, even if like things like tech doesn't typically do well during recessions, you also have other assets that would kind of help your portfolio stay afloat. It also helps reduce emotional reactions like panic selling. When you have a plan for how your portfolio should be diversified, it will help you from making any rash decisions. Now let's look at how assets are typically diversified. One of the most common way is by asset class. So this is when you have a mix of equity, fixed income, and cash. And sometimes some people like to mix other things like commodities, crypto, depending on your risk tolerance. But the three main things are equity, um, fixed income, and cash. And I'll explain what those are very soon. And then the other way you want to diversify is by country or region. So let's say you have equity, fixed income, and cash. You don't owe, you don't want to have all of your equity and fixed income just in Canada. You want to have some equity in Canada, some equity in the US, and some equity in international countries. That way, if the Canadian economy fails or something happens, you know that these other countries or geographic regions can help balance it out. Or let's say it's the US. Maybe sometimes during election, you notice that the prices start to um, take a nosedive. But if you have enough Canadian companies in your portfolio, it will kind of help smooth things out. And then the other way, as I mentioned several times already, is through the industry or sector. So you can have technology, financials, materials, consumers to say polls, healthcare, utilities, real estate. So you want to make sure that you have a fine balance of all of this. You don't want to have too much of one thing. Now let's look at what is an equity asset. 
So equity assets usually represent ownership in a company and their value is based on the performance of the company. So when you um, own an equity asset, you have part ownership in that company. Equity assets are typically considered high risk, high reward investments as their value can fluctuate significantly over a short period of time. And equity assets usually offer a potential for long-term capital appreciation and you also get dividends. And they are often used to provide growth in your portfolio. So they're the things that will help you get that high return that you're looking for because they have long-term capital appreciation. So the typical equity assets are stocks and we would our um, funds that consist of stocks. So things like index funds that contain stocks or ETFs that contain stocks. And then we have fixed income assets, which are debt securities that are issued by a company or government. And with these types of assets, you're basically giving a loan to a company or a government municipality. And in return, they would give you a fixed rate of return and you get back your capital over a short period of time. So because of that, they are considered low risk investment because of that predictable return that you know you're going to get. And you usually would use fixed income assets to stabilize your portfolio. Because the equity are typically highly volatile, you want to use something a little bit stable to kind of even that out. So examples of fixed income assets would be things like bonds, mortgage lending, term deposits such as GIC, CDs, treasury bills, or any fund that consists of bonds. And then we have cash. Sometimes cash might be just more than like hard cash. And it could be money in your savings account, money in a money market fund or short term government securities. And these typically have very, very, very minimal interest rate on these accounts. And your capital that you put in that account is usually guaranteed. So they probably are one of the safest ways to hold money. But you should understand that when you hold cash, because it's very low risk, it's low reward. So your money will probably not see the appreciation you need to beat inflation. So the best way to have a diversified portfolio is to have a good mix of these three asset classes, which is equity, fixed income, and cash. And doing this will help you create a balanced portfolio that can provide growth, income, and stability. And the exact allocation for each of these assets would usually depend on your risk tolerance, your financial goals, and your investment horizon. Someone that is 20 years old, because they have about 40 years until retirement, they would typically have a higher risk tolerance and they would usually go for more aggressive types of investments. So that type of person might have like 80% in equity or even 90 or 100% sometimes. Whereas someone who is 10 years away from retirement, because they cannot afford to lose all of that money, they will typically have a lower allocation to equity because they know they're going to need that money soon. So your second assignment, um, there are so many different um, forms and apps online that tell you how much equity you should have based on your age, based on your horizon. So I want you to use that to determine your asset allocation because that's the number one step before you start investing. You have to know how much equity you're going to have, how much fixed income, and how much cash you're going to hold 
in your portfolio. So now let's look at mutual funds. So what is a mutual fund? So mutual fund is a pool of money from different investors. So they usually have a fund manager who will invest the money from that pool into different companies or assets. So this is a way that they try to diversify those investments for investors. And they typically would invest in stocks, bonds, and they one of the common terms that you use that people use to describe mutual funds is a basket of stocks. So instead of trying to figure out, okay, which company is going to do well over the next 10 years, there's so many great companies out there. So it's really, really hard for you to decide. And a lot of investors usually end up in analysis paralysis because they cannot figure out which stocks to pick. So instead of figuring that out, with a mutual fund, you get all of those stocks in one. So you go, maybe you're looking for a particular country stock, you might find a mutual fund that does that. Or maybe you're looking for a particular um, industry, you can find a mutual fund that does that. So mutual funds, they typically come with a fee called the management expense ratio. Because the fund manager is going to be buying companies in and out of that fund, it does cost money to manage it, and they usually pass that cost over to the investor. So there are two types of mutual funds. We have active mutual funds and passive mutual funds. So with an active fund, the fund manager frequently moves shares in and out of that fund. So they usually will have a goal that they need that mutual fund to meet. And if that, if based on the companies they've chosen, it's not meeting that goal, they will have to sell it. So the ones that are not doing well, they have to sell it and buy more of the companies they think are going to do well. So there's a lot of activity going on. And how you would know that a fund is very active is by its turnover rate. So when you're looking at the fact sheet of a fund, you see something called the turnover rate. The higher the turnover rate, the more active that fund is. But passive mutual funds, there is very minimal movement of shares of that fund. Typically, maybe once a quarter or once a year, that's when they kind of analyze the companies in there and decide if they want to sell it or keep it. And because there's a lot of movement with active funds, they usually have a high management expense ratio. Because there's a lot of selling happening in that fund, it usually would incur taxes, which is triggered by capital gains. Now, if you don't have a mutual fund in a registered account like an RSP or TFSA, you might be getting a hefty tax bill. So keeping it in something like an RSP or TFSA will help you avoid those um taxes while it's in the account. And then with a passive mutual fund, they usually have a lower MER than active um, mutual funds. And active mutual funds, they typically try to outperform a specific benchmark. So they pick a benchmark, like say the S&P 500, it's returned 10% and maybe the fund says we want to return 12%. So they try to beat that benchmark. While with the passive fund, they try to do exactly what the benchmark is doing. So if the S&P 500 returned 10%, they also want to do 10%. And some of the passive mutual funds are typically called index funds and ETFs. So what is an index fund? Index funds are passively managed mutual funds and there's minimal movement in the securities in that fund, making it a much lower cost investment approach. So let's say you like the concept of mutual funds, but you don't like the fees you're paying. A good alternative would be an index funds. And like I already said, um, index funds tend to mirror a specific benchmark. Um, it could be a benchmark, it could be an asset class, or it could be a country market. 
So an example of one of the most popular index funds is the S&P 500. And these are all of the companies that are inside the S&P 500. So rather than figuring out, oh, should I buy Netflix or should I buy Walmart or should I buy Apple or should I buy um, Google or should I buy Amazon? These are all great companies. And a lot of times you might not afford, you might not be able to afford to have all of these in your portfolio. So instead of doing that, you can buy an S&P 500 index fund, which will have all of these companies already containing that fund. So the one of the beauties about index funds is that if one of these doesn't do well, the other 409, 400 and 99 companies will make up for it. So that's one of the benefits of having an index fund. And like I already said, index funds typically will mirror a stock market index. Next is the, I call it like the close cousin of the index funds, which is an exchange traded fund or ETF. So exchange traded funds are basically index funds, but they are traded on a stock exchange. And because they are traded on the stock exchange, their prices would typically fluctuate during the trading day as the shares within that fund are bought and sold. So if you want to compare an ETF and index fund, it's like ordering Uber Eats as opposed to going to the store to get it yourself. So index one is like ordering Uber Eats. When you put in your order, someone at the back end has to package it together for you. They have to see how many shares you want. They have to wait till the end of the trading day to see how the companies in that fund have performed before they even quote a price to you. So typically when you, when you, I was going to say order, yeah, order, order an index fund, you typically would not um, see that order fulfilled till the next business day, sometimes even two to three business days before you'll be able to um, get that fund show up in your brokerage account. Whereas ETFs is like going to pick up, the food is already ready, the food be the the restaurant being the stock exchange. So you can just literally walk in there, pick whatever you need, and it's yours. So with index funds, you can buy it right away. So if you see something, um, whatever the price is as of that time, that's how much you're getting it for. And one thing about ETFs is that they usually have a much wider range of options and they're usually more specific. So you see ETFs that invest in gold, ETFs that invest in crypto, weed, um, crude oil, all kinds of things. Like ETFs can be so specific. So what are some of the benefits of index funds and ETFs? Number one, it's so much more easier to manage. Imagine you trying to have 500 different companies in your portfolio. That would be a nightmare to navigate to try to manage 500 companies. You have to track each one's performance, see if it's doing well. But instead of doing that, you can just have one fund and you don't have to worry about that. The other thing is that it also offers diversification. If you look at this chart again, um, or this picture, you can see that there's so many different sectors here. There's technology, there's automotive, there's consumer discretionary, there's retail, there's um, healthcare, Almost every different sector is covered here. So if one sector is not doing so well um, in the economy, maybe because like recently um, the technology stocks weren't doing well and energy stocks picked up because of the prices of gas. So those will usually make up for each other. It's all also very easy to access. Um, 
typically with mutual funds, you have to go through a financial advisor or a mutual fund broker. And those people are not typically easy to come by. Some um, institutions, they will not even take you as a client if you don't have at least $250,000 in your account to invest with them. But with index funds and ETFs, you can literally purchase it for $10. So it's much more easy to access. It's also low cost in terms of the fees um, structure. And you also would see that long-term growth. If you hold it for long-term, you would also see that benefit of that long-term um, holding your investments for long-term. And they're super beginner-friendly. With ETFs, it's so much more easier for you to learn about them and buy them as opposed to maybe a stock where you have to actually know the financials of the company. You have to know if it's a good company, if it's going to be profitable. There's a lot of research that you have to do to buy stocks. Whereas with ETFs and index funds, you can read the fun facts compared to a few others and you can easily make your choice. The next thing we're going to look at is the building blocks of a solid portfolio. So now you've already done your asset allocation and you figured out, okay, I want to start investing. Um, one of the mistakes that I see a lot of new investors make is that they try to do everything at once. They're trying to buy the hot stock. They're trying to buy the hot crypto. They're trying to buy, oh, is it real estate? Is it this other one? And they try to do everything at once. But my recommendation is to consider your investment portfolio like you're building a house. If you're building a house, you will not go and buy a couch when the foundation of that house has not been laid yet you need to lay the foundation first. You need to put the actual structure, the walls and the house and all of that before you go and start buying the content. So that's how you should approach your investing. So the first thing you want to do is to lay the foundation. So the foundation will be things like broad-based ETFs and index funds. So what this means is that when you start out investing, you want to focus on only the foundation first. When the foundation has been laid, the next thing you can add to your portfolio is income. So income would be things like dividend securities. So any company that pays dividends, dividend high yield, dividend stocks, things like REITs, those are things that you can add to your portfolio. Now, after you've done the foundation, the income is like the walls of the house. Now, like now it's starting to look like a house, right? It's starting to look like it's making sense. The next thing is growth. And I call these things like the finishing touches on the house. This is when you put in the fancy windows, the fancy um, lighting, and all of these nice to-haves that you will put in your house. And these things are typically stocks. So these are things that you don't really, really need them, but they're nice to have. They're things that will make you comfortable in the house that you live in. And the other thing that you can add at the very top is max growth. And these are things that honestly, you don't need them, but they're just, it's when it becomes a little excessive. Like, it's like, what are some of the things you can have in your house? Um, it's like the accents, the furniture, um, the paintings, and all those things. All those things, you don't really need them, but they're just nice things. And when you look at them, it makes you happy. So these are things like anything that is speculative in nature. So um, the crypto, commodities, and any small cap stocks. With small cap stocks, they have that tendency to have very high growth, but they also have that tendency to 
make you lose a lot of money. So with this structure, obviously with the foundation, that's where you want to have more of your investing. So as you go up, the less you want to have. So you want to have more of the foundation and then the income will be next. And then as you get towards the growth, you want to have a little bit of that. And you only want to have these based on how much loss you can actually tolerate. So you don't want to have max growth as your foundation. No, you don't want to have too much of that. You want to have only a little bit. If you walked into a house and it was just all painting, it's going to look like an eyesore. So you only want to have a little bit of those things because that's the beauty of it. So now what are some strategies that you can use to withstand market volatility? We've already talked about having a long-term investment perspective. Whenever you start out as an investor, you always want to think about the long-term. If you only focus on the short-term, you might end up losing a lot of money. In short-term, you've seen that the volatility is usually high. You can get like 10%, 20%, 30% losses. But long-term, you typically will win long-term overall. The second thing you can do is dollar cost average. So this is when you invest a specific amount at specific intervals. So maybe you decide you want to invest um, $200 biweekly or $500 every month. So when you do that, because the market goes up and down, when the market is down, you'll be able to buy more shares of that asset. And then when it's up, when the market is up, you'll be able to buy less shares. And over time, it kind of it evens out the cost that you're buying. So you don't want to be that person that you're always buying when everything is high. And then when things come down, you don't have money to invest. So you, when you dollar cost average, you kind of enter at different entry points in the market, which evens, evens things out for you. The third thing you can do is to set up automatic investment plans. You can typically do these with index funds. So you can go to your brokerage or financial institution and ask them to set up um, an automatic investment plan where they will withdraw a specific amount from your checking account and invest it for you in whatever assets that you choose. This way, it's very hands-up for you. You don't have to look at your investment account. Sometimes when you log in, you see, oh, this thing's down. So you're afraid to buy more of it because you think you're going to lose more money. But when you do kind of like a set it and forget it, you're very hands-off. You don't have to monitor it every single time. It kind of instills that discipline that you need to keep investing um, regularly in the stock market. The fourth rule here is, I always say this, you can panic but don't sell. You hear people tell you all the time, oh, don't panic. If you open your investment portfolio and you see that it's down 30%, of course you're going to panic. You're a human being. You are allowed to panic as long as you don't make any rash decisions. So I say panic, but don't sell. You want to stick to your goals. That's why it's very important for you to know what your goals are. Calculating your financial independence number, determining what your asset allocation is. You need to stick to the plan. If you've already told yourself, I'm really going to have 70% equity and 30% fixed income in my portfolio, that's what you need to stick to. So stick to your goals. And you also want to avoid FOMO. FOMO is when you see something getting hyped and people are telling you, oh, I'm making a lot of money. I'm making a bajillion dollars from this. And you feel tempted to want to buy it without even doing proper research. Or probably that thing doesn't even fit your goal strategy. Or probably you're still in the foundation stage of your portfolio. Maybe you're not ready for that yet. You need to stick to your goals so that you don't give into, into FOMO and you don't end up deviating from your plan. So that's it for this 
session. And to recap, we've seen that investing helps you grow your wealth over time and helps you leave a legacy. It will help you achieve financial independence. Um, you always want to have a long-term focus when investing and diversifying your portfolio helps you minimize your risk and maximize your returns. Always have an asset allocation that is aligned with your risk um, tolerant your investment goals and your investment horizon. A solid investment portfolio would include a solid foundation of broad-based index funds and ETFs. And in order to withstand volatility, you need to hold long-term, double-cast average, and avoid panic selling. So a refresher of what your next steps are, you want to calculate your financial independence number. You want to determine your asset allocation. And then I want to encourage you, if you have not started investing, I want you to open a self-directed investment account and purchase your first broad-based ETF after you have done your research. And if you have any questions, you can follow me on Instagram at two sides of a dime. So thank you very much um, for being here. And again, if you have any questions, you can reach out to me at the size of a dime on all platforms and i'll be happy to answer any of your questions just let me know that you're from the women can money summit so that i can prioritize your request and have fun and keep learning for the rest of the summit mm-hmm.